Welcome to the Highland Park Community Church Podcast. Our goal is to serve and encourage you as you build a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us now as we study the Word of God together in this week's episode. Psalm 27.4, one thing I have asked of Adonai, that I will seek to dwell in the house of Adonai all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of Adonai and to meditate in his temple. All right, so I'm going to make some final points before we move on to other scriptures because I know I've been beating this verse like I've been riding a horse trying to get it to go faster over the past several weeks month over the past month um we've talked about this a lot i've really wanted to challenge you guys um to set some time aside to spend with god every day what are you guys doing to um spend time with god every day are you willing to give up things that are in your way um To behold his beauty. Because here's the thing. Discipleship begins with beholding him. You become like the one that you worship. You become like the one that you behold. The reason why we always do station four no matter what is because if there's one thing I want you to do while you're here is to slow down enough to be with him and hear him. Why? Because most of us spend a lot of time praying for God to do something failing to realize that God wants to transform our hearts so that we become the answers to those prayers. If we're passionate enough to pray about it, then one of us should be passionate enough to become the answer to that prayer. Um, I saw something on social media not too long ago where uh, a minister was given this story about this guy who was passionate about homeless ministry in his city. And he would say, every day he would pray, Lord, help the homeless in the city. And once a week, he would get in his car. He would make time at least once a week. He would get in his car. He would drive down into the city, and he would pick up a homeless person and take him out for dinner and make sure that they had a place to stay for the night. Made sure if they needed a shower, clean clothes, they had it. He would drop them off at wherever they needed to be, and then he would go home. And before he laid down to sleep that night, he would say, God, thank you for taking care of the homeless people in the city. When we come together and we pray for Highland Park, our prayers don't mean anything and they're not going to change the atmosphere of our community unless we're willing to get before the Lord, behold Him, and let His atmosphere change us from the inside out. So tonight, as I was pacing the floor, I prayed over several of the different areas that we weren't praying over, but I got stuck on this prayer, Lord Let the prayers that we pray not only transform the community, but let it transform us first. So we're we're in this we're in this mark, mark one of like being emotionally healthy in our spirituality and in our devotion to God is taking the time to be with God before you actually go out and do anything. Um, We've talked about a lot of reasons why we do that tonight. I want to go over certain examples. Uh, Let's talk about David first. David was a man transformed by prayer. We know that he was because we can look at the Psalms and, I mean, Psalms are just David's prayers put to music, right? Most of them. Um, in Acts 13, 22, it says that David was a man after God's own heart. And that wasn't spoken about him because he was perfect. He was far from perfect. Lord only knows he was far from perfect. Um, but, He was repentant, and he let the prayers, he let his own prayers and the prayers of the prophets that were around him change his heart so that he could make sure he continued in righteousness, so that he could make sure he was doing the right thing. 
If we go to First um, Samuel 18, verse 12 says, Now Saul became afraid of David because Adonai was with him, but had departed from Saul. Adonai was with him. We jump down to verse 14. It says, David had success in all his understanding because Adonai was with him. And then if you look at verse 28, it says that when Saul saw that Adonai was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul grew even more afraid of David. And thus Saul became David's enemy for all days. David is our first example of someone who spent so much time in the presence of the Lord that the Lord just loved to be with him. And and I know in the New Testament, in the New Covenant where we have now, we have promises like God says that he'll never leave us or forsake us. But there's also a tension because in the book of James, it says that we first need to draw near to God so that he will draw near to us. And if we take things like God will never leave us or forsake us for granted, it's not that God leaves us. His presence is always with us. It's like we have the Holy Spirit as a seal of our salvation. But God doesn't want us to stop there. The seal isn't the benchmark of our relationship with God. It should be the starting point. It should be the thing that says, God loved me so much, he died for me, and he wanted to spend the rest of my days on this earth with me. What can I do to return that to him? How can I please his heart? How can I connect with him? How can I transform the things that I'm doing and the ways that I'm living to show him that I'm devoted to him as well? I've said yes to this covenant. How can I fulfill it on my end? Not from the standpoint of works. It's all grace. But but it starts with us beginning to want to be with him. Do we want to be with him? David, later on, uh, or... I can't remember if it's before this or after this, but uh, there's a certain verse in 1 Samuel where after David is on the battlefield, rather than going back to the castle, because we, he already knows he should be appointed king, rather than going back to the castle, he actually returns back to his father's flock to take care of them. And in those moments, that's where he's spending the most time with God. Are we willing to get back to those places? Let's look at Moses. Let's go to Exodus 33. I know, right? Micah knows me too well. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) All right, we're going to start in verse 13. Um... It says, Now then I pray, if I have found grace in your eyes, show me your ways, so that I may know you, so that I might find favor in your sight. Consider also that this nation is your people. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. God answered. But then he said to him, If your presence does not go with me, Don't let us go up from here. For how would it be known that I or your people have found favor in your sight? Isn't it because you go with us that distinguishes us from all the rest of the peoples on the face of the earth? And Adonai answered Moses, I will do what you have said, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Um. So look, we, we're, we have a difficult assignment here, okay? We are in, an, in, a, um, in a very low-income com- low area. We are, uh, I mean, you wouldn't really be able to tell tonight, but we are a predominantly white church um, in an area that doesn't really trust white people to do the right thing or to do what's best for the community. And we have to work really hard to build trust here. We have to work really hard. And so it's not enough for us to get together 
and have a great worship service and have a great prayer service and to preach a good message. And it's not enough for us to do all the outreach events that we're doing here. If we are not led by the Spirit of the Lord, none of that matters. If His Spirit doesn't go with us and our assignment, our assignment is foolishness and it is in vain. Moses understood this because he spent so much time with God on the mountain. If your presence doesn't go before us, I don't want to go. There are a lot of, I mean, I drove around one time. There are almost 20 churches in North Highland Park and South Highland Park combined. Uh, A third of them are Church of God in Christ. A third of them are Baptists and a third of them are a mix of other things. There's one Catholic church. Um, I know that because it's down the street from my house, so I pass it every day. Uh, So look, here's what I would say is that a lot of them have been in the community for a long time and they, they have done many, many events for the community. I want them to have just as much presence in their congregations as we do so that they are led and so that it distinguishes them to the world because there's a lot of worldliness around here. There's a lot of drugs. There's a lot of violence. Um, there's underground prostitution here. There's homelessness here. There's a lot of stuff wrong with this community. I've been looking into the statistics. This, the biggest state in the United States, California, has the second highest poverty rate in the United States. It's 19% of their population is under the poverty line. Within North and South Highland Park, 19.55% of the population here, that's one in every five people, are under the poverty line. There's a lot of stuff that happens here because of that. If the presence of the Lord isn't with us to distinguish us from the rest of the world so that the people see the light of Jesus with us, then what we're doing is not worth it to me. It's not. They're just going to look at us as another church that doesn't care or that only cares in order to get numbers up. That's not who I want to be. It's not who I want to be. You guys tracking with me? And that might sound kind of harsh. And I want it to sound a little harsh because it's a serious subject, right? Like, I want to take this seriously. I was at a, I was at a, a clergy for racial reconciliation meeting this weekend, and we had people from all over the worst Pastors from all over the city there, pastors from all over the worst parts of the city there, parts of the city that are being transformed. And anytime I mentioned that I was in Highland Park, I got weird looks because we're like the ugly step stepchild of the rest of the city. No one comes here. No one's bringing anything in here. And the fact that God chose us to be here and to push for this stuff to happen is a big deal because nobody else is doing it. Our congresswoman doesn't even want us to do it. She spends most of her time down in Manchester. She's no, she's not, she lives in the community, but she's never here. That makes sense. So not going to mention the name, but I just want you guys to know that because this is this is serious. Because here's the thing. Two of you guys are finally moving into the community. You need to know what's going on. You know, you need to know what's going on. So and uh, I don't want to scare anyone else, anyone else away from potentially being here. But I also want you guys to know that, like, if you commit to being with us as a church for long term, um, these are the things that we have to deal with. Or, you know, if you're Sharia's case, going off to the 1040 window, having to deal with a lot of other stuff, in the trenches with you. So we're praying for you. You keep praying for us, please. <laughs> um, there's a lot going on here. So those are a couple of Old Testament examples. Let's 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 jump into the New Testament. All right, let's go to Luke 5. You know, in Boston, my home church there is in Brooklyn. Yeah. And it's in one of the first places possible in Brooklyn. Yeah. And Pastor was led to have that church there too. Yeah. So I'm sure he understands. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you're just led to churches that are in areas like that. <laughs> God has a way of putting me where I need to be. Yeah. You know, I'm just grateful to be his instrument, his tool. Amen. His vessel. Amen. 
All right, Luke 5.15. You guys ready? But the news about Yeshua was spreading all the more, and many crowds were coming together to hear and to be healed of their diseases. Yet he would often slip away into the wilderness and pray. Do you guys see that? What Jesus. Uh, Luke 5, 15 through 16. Oh. He does it again in Mark 3, 14 through 15. If you guys want another verse. And what is it? Um, give me just a second. Luke 5, 15. Are you looking for Mark? Mark. Mark is Mark 3, 14 through 15. Okay. Thank you for that. Oh, I'm in Mark 3, 14 through 15. It does not say the same thing. Really? Yeah. What does it you say? Know, no, no. They appointed 12, whom he also named a prophet. He was going to send him out to preach, and now with the way to pass happiness. Hmm. I may have goofed. I'll come back and give you a better verse for that later. So, my bad. I don't know what I was thinking there. Will be yeah, I don't know why I picked that verse. Sorry. We'll we'll skip that. We'll come back to that later. So here's the thing I want you to see. Jesus, Jesus makes sure that he even pulls away from his 12 disciples to be alone. Well, first, let's back up. Oftentimes we see Jesus pull the 12 away from the crowds to spend time with them and connect with them, right? But then after that, after he has spent time with them, he pulls away from them and goes back to the Father. He goes back to Abba. Um, he gets alone with God. And this, this wasn't an every once in a while thing. From what we understand from other verses that talk about this, this was a daily occurrence. He was uh, up before everyone else to spend time with God. He went to bed later than everybody else to spend time with God. I don't know about you, but I have two kids, and that's exhausting. <laughs> um, so I'm not saying be up before everybody else and spend time with God or stay up later than everybody else to spend time with God if you live in a household of many people. But pick one and do it, right? Um, Jesus was our example. If we want to live like him, then we have to actually do the things that he did. If we want... The Holy Spirit without measure like he had, then we have to spend time with God the way that he did. But not only that, we have to flex our Holy Spirit muscles and actually step out in faith and do the things that he did. Pray for the sick. Go after the demons. Cleanse the lepers. Maybe even you end up being a Paul somewhere. Lay on a dead guy. Breathe into his nostrils and he comes back to life. If you want to be weird like me, but you don't have to be. I'm just saying that's something Paul did. It was a little strange. Anyway, um, let's go to the book of Acts. The 12 disciples ended up following Jesus' lead. And they took, uh, <clears throat> they took about 108 people with them up to an upper room where they secluded themselves from everybody. On the day of Shavuot, or Pentecost, is that how you pronounce Shavuot. that? Thank you. Thank you. There are two types of homeschoolers: <laughs> me, who's still hooked on phonics, and and Micah, who's a who's a grammar, uh, who likes grammar a lot. I was gonna say another word, but rather not in this day and age. Um, so uh, I was gonna say Nazi. People don't like that word anymore. We can't even use it as jokes. That's so. Don't look. Don't look at me funny. I'm just trying to figure out what you're going to say. Stay woke, man. <laughs> anyway, not gonna go into that. Um, Michael likes grammar a lot, and I appreciate that's about Tim's. Acts what? Acts two. We're gonna be in Acts two right now. Yeah. Well, Acts what? Acts two. In the upper room. Remember, and there's 120 there. They pulled away from everybody else to spend time with the Lord praying. And the Holy Spirit came in. Tongues of fire happened. You know. Um, 
I don't know if that would have happened if they hadn't pulled away from the crowds and been dedicated to that time of dedicate if they hadn't been dedicated to the Lord in prayer and silence together. <clears throat> we see in Acts 6, let's go to Acts 6, starting in verse 2. Um, so the 12 called together the whole group of the disciples and said, it is not right for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. So brothers select from among you seven reputable men full of the spirit and wisdom whom we have put in charge of this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the service of the word. Um, now we're not the 12 apostles or however many apostles there were. Oh, it says 12. Never mind. We won't go into that. Well, the 12 here. Sorry. I had a, my birthday was yesterday. I had a pumpkin spice latte today. I'm a little all over the place. Um, that sounds like a normal week. I know. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So here, here's what I, here's what I want you to see here. The 12 apostles dedicated themselves to prayer and service of the word. Um, just because the apostles dedicated themselves to prayer doesn't mean that that, that, that discludes us from, from us being dedicated to prayer as well. We are called to be priests in the kingdom of, of God. If you know what priests look like, priests are dedicated to prayer. So again, I know this section I might be repetitive at this point, but I want to ask you, what are you doing to set yourself up to be alone with God and just be with Him? The, the past couple of weeks, I talked a lot about enjoying the presence of the Lord and finding, finding that, that joy of just being with Him. And that's where we need to start. But we can't talk about the joy of being with the Lord if we can't also find that tension, because there is a, a tension of what he actually calls us to do. And he does call us to be people of prayer. It's not something that can be neglected. And sometimes when we're learning about who we are in Christ, we need to get rid of the things that we're called to and are assigned to do so that we can learn to just be with him and enjoy him. So we can learn that our identity is based in him and not on the things that we're doing. But as we grow in our identity, we have to realize that if we never start doing, then we've never truly found a foundation of who we're supposed to be. Amen. Because part of being transforms us so that we can go out and do. There's a tension there. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me? All right. Um, That almost sounds like a car alarm. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I don't think it is. I know it's too loud behind me. It might be. Loud. It just stopped. It just stopped. It just stopped. Okay. Okay. Might have been one on the street. It's fine. Acts nineteen. Let's go there. Verses. 11 through 12. We're going to look at Paul for a second. You ready? Verse 11. It says, God was doing extraordinary miracles. Not just miracles, but extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched his skin were brought to the sick and diseases left them and evil spirits went out of them. That's where the prayer cloths come in. That is, yeah. Yeah. But but so but here's the thing though. Prayer cloths were taken out of context because these bad boys weren't prayed over. They were sweat racks. <laughs> he was building tents and wiping his forehead with them. And because of the presence on him, when his presence touched that cloth and left his residue on it, the Holy Spirit was on him so much that they recognize that when they use the rag for anything else on someone who was sick or demon possessed, for some reason they were healed and they were delivered. Oh, that's 
Now, I love prayer cloths. I was at a church that used them quite often, and we saw some crazy healings happen. Um, I'm not against them. What I'm more for is for us to be so entrenched and in love and in love and and like full of joy at just being with God that this is a natural byproduct. If we can walk up to someone and lay hands on them and just say God loves you and they get healed or delivered, that's what I want. That's what I want. If people come into our presence and notice and have a noticeable difference in how they think and how they live their life so that when they leave our presence they go Wait a minute, what happened? That's what I want. That's what happened in the presence of Jesus. I don't know if we'll ever get to Jesus' standards. I don't know if we'll ever even get to Paul's standards. I don't know if we'll get to Peter's standards. Peter was going to be the next example that I had. In Acts 5, 15, Peter, people, people understood that when Peter walked by, even his shadow healed people. And so they would lay people who couldn't walk out on the streets. And as Peter's shadow went by and touched them, they would get healed. They would get delivered. I don't know if we'll get there. That's crazier to me than the cloths. Mm-hmm. Same. Here's the thing. I don't know if we'll ever get there. But what I don't want us to do is to make excuses to become comfortable so we stop pursuing him. I'm not saying that we get into this workspace mentality where we feel like we have to work for this all the time and where we have to feel like we have to like set an hour aside a day just to be with the Lord. The Lord wants to be with us in every situation that we're in. We can be at work and say, God, I just want to be with you right now. Will you come and be with me? And he's going to show up. We can be in a prayer meeting and be praying nonstop and not feel him and then slow down enough to go, okay, I just want to listen to you. Because it's his voice that transforms us, right? When we look at the Gospels, Jesus says that when I speak, my words become spirit. And it's that spirit that transforms us. The point to all this is if, is if we don't actually sit with him and let his word, let him speak over us, so that his words become spirit and become that rhema that ignites our hearts and transforms us, then all the good things that we do and all the good thoughts that we think and like our process of renewing our minds don't mean anything because they stay logos. And logos is great, but logos is just written. Rhema is where the power comes in. Rhema is what ignites us. Rhema is what sets our hearts on fire. Exactly. Right. All right. So here's a quote from the book, um, Emotionally Healthy Disciples by Peter Scarzazo. That still didn't get it right, did I? Ah. Shame. Sorry, guys. I'm just really bad. I know. I wonder if he goes through like weekly podcasts to see who's preaching on his stuff and he gets to us. This guy is saying a lot of great stuff. What did he just say? That's not my last name. Um, So the early church in the first 300 years of, of church history, they developed a serious discipleship training process. And the reason being is because the Roman Empire at different times in different regions unleashed severe persecutions against believers. Christians who denied their faith, excuse me, rather than be martyred and were subsequently known as the lapsed, created a serious problem when some wanted to return to the community after persecution subsided. The early church realized that simply getting people to do Christian behaviors such as attending worship, evangelizing, participating in fellowship, would not be enough for people to stand firm in Jesus amongst severe pressure. So they established a clear pathway to help people grow in their being with Jesus so that they could persevere in their witness and life for Jesus. So here's some questions I want to ask us tonight. As we read the scriptures 
And as we have such ad- admiration for people like Moses, for people like Joshua, when, when Moses finally left the mountain and finally left the tent of meeting, Joshua always stayed. Mm-hmm. Always. He always stayed behind. He loved the presence of the Lord. I think that's why he was chosen to replace Moses. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just enough that, to be the m- disciple of Moses. It was because he loved God's presence the way that Moses did. As we, as we begin to admire Moses and Joshua and David and, and Jesus and Paul and Peter and the Apostle John, who just never wanted to leave Jesus aside, are we willing to pay the price necessary to have that intimacy that they had with God? My heart and my hope is that we all would find out what the cost is and pay it. Because the Holy Spirit lives in us, we should have a head start and an advantage against them because they didn't have it, at least in the Old Testament. Now, the the 12 disciples had a huge advantage over us because they spent three years in the presence of Jesus in their midst physically and not just, you know, spiritually, like we talk about all the time. Um, so we should have a head start to people like Moses and Joshua and David. But oftentimes it seems like we have a dif- disadvantage because of all the distractions that are in the world at this time. What's even more upsetting is that we make excuses to stay distracted while still confessing to wanting to be in his presence with our mouths with our songs and our prayers amongst Christian fellowship. But then when it comes to our own private lives, are we living up to the things that we actually say we want? So when will we stop making excuses and truly let the Lord be the one thing that we seek? So why is this so important? Because as a church culture, we must be committed to being with Jesus before doing for Jesus and disciple people this way. Although this slows down the discipleship process, it radically shifts priorities. You cannot give what you do not possess. What you do is important but who you are is even more important. And the state that you are in is the state that you give others. In the seasons where we are unhealthy and we don't recognize it and we don't have people to hold us accountable to get healthy, who we are in those seasons is who we're giving to other people in those seasons. And I'm not saying that that's wrong because there's a season to rejoice. There's a season to weep, you know. But we have to realize that who we are is what we give people on a daily basis. <clears throat> so let's talk about um, let's talk about discipleship comparison real quick. That's why I wanted this. We're going to get through this last little section and then we'll call it for the night. All right, so Yoink. this marker doesn't might write very well. Like it. I can't see it. No satisfaction. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is what we traditionally do in Western church. This is going to be what Peter, <laughs> whose last name I can't pronounce, is suggesting for us to do, okay? So, and I'm, I'm guilty of a lot of this. So for those of you guys who have known me for 10 years, sorry. <laughs> um, 
I'm just, I'm trying to change. Yeah. So basically just YouTube. Um, so look, in traditional discipleship, I do, you watch, you do, we talk, right? And then I do, you help, and then we talk again. All right, you see the pattern here? Mm-hmm. And then when we get to the next one, what ends up happening? You do, I help, we talk about it. Number four, you do, I'm going to watch, and we're going to talk about it. Micah knows I've done this a lot to him. And then yeah, at the end, like, it was great a lot of the time. sometimes, right. I'm not saying that we don't continue to do this, but there's a point I'm going to make. Hold on. Okay. You do, someone else watches, and I just leave you the alone. Right? So our discipleship method is it's going to start with me. You're going to watch me. We're going to talk. You're going to, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to invite you in to help me. We're going to talk about it. Then you're going to start doing it yourself. Take the lead. I'm going to help you when needed. We're going to talk about it. At the end, you're going to do it. I'm going to watch you and then give you feedback. And then at the very end, I'm just going to leave you alone. You're, you're supposed to do it without any accountability, without any help. And then someone else is going to start watching you the way that you were watching me up here. Right? That's how we do discipleship most of the time. Sometimes it's effective. The first three are pretty effective. I'm going to show you a way that's more effective, I think. I think. In the long run. This is great short term. But does this change hearts? Sometimes. Sometimes. The relationship changes hearts. I don't, yeah. I don't want to say it doesn't change hearts, but this is, this is, in this example, we do, come on, do before we become. Here, we're going to become before we do do. <laughs> Poop jokes. All right, so check this out. In this example, in th- this this example, right? I'm gonna be. I be. You watch. Then I'm gonna sting you. No, I'm kidding. Uh, and then we talk. <clears throat> and then I'm gonna be. You're gonna be. Why can't you write I am? Why why can't you? I know. I am B. Wrong. I am A B. No. I am Beyonce. (laughs) I am you are. (laughs) We talk. I'm trying to follow his example, all right? Uh, All right. This guy wrote a book. This guy wrote a book. All right, all right, all right. So look. In this example, I, in this example, we start off not by doing anything, but by being who we are. When I come to you to disciple you, I am who I am. You watch me. We talk about it. And hopefully you watching me just be the person that I actually am gains your trust. Right? And the second, it, it, as we grow together, I'm able to be, continue to be. I never stop being who I am. But you get comfortable being who you are around me. And we talk about it. Watch. Then I do out of my being. <coughs> you watch me. And then we talk again. <coughs> Then you learn to do 
out of your being. I'm going to watch and we're going to talk about it. And then finally, you be and then someone else watches. Why is this important? <clears throat> One over here, like I said, we, we do before we actually become. When people show up at our churches, they show up at our churches because they're attracted by what we're doing. And what we're doing probably isn't a bad thing. But the issue is, if all they see is us do, then what they gain is an identity based on doing and based on works. Mm. Rather than being together and being with Jesus. If when people come in, they see us just being. They see that we, we pray, we take prayer seriously. They see that we take prayer so seriously and we believe that God speaks and that he wants to be with us so much that at least 15 minutes out of our worship session is spent dedicated to doing nothing but listening to him, and learning to be with him in a safe place because so many people are scared to slow down and just be with him. What does that turn them into? What does that turn us into while we're here? If you show up and I'm just myself around you, and you get you to laugh. <laughs> Do what? <laughs> yeah, you laugh. But, here, but, but here's the thing now. Here's the thing. Listen, seriously. If I'm just myself, and I can help you learn to just be yourself, first yeah. and foremost. Because think about it. The world may not know they're faking it, but how many of us know that while we were in the world, the entire time we were there, we were faking it because we didn't know who we were? Mm-hmm. We wore masks in order to hide our real feelings, hide our failures. In some instances, because so much of the world dwells in a victim mindset, and, and, and manifest a spirit of self-pity. I know I did. It wasn't my failures that I hid. It was my successes. I was scared to be successful and I wore a mask. Mm-hmm. I needed someone healthy to come along and show me that it was okay to be successful because I could give God the glory. Mm-hmm. They didn't show me that by telling me that. Sure, they told me that several times. But it wasn't until I watched their actions line up with what they actually said that I began to trust them and see how much that that and let what who they were actually change me. Mm-hmm. If we can learn to be with Jesus first, it will change us more than anything else. Oh, yeah. It will give us the heart of a servant. And if we can take that and just learn to be with people mm-hmm. without expecting them to do. So that they can learn to be comfortable with us and let their guards down. And then as they let their guards down and they trust us and they continue to watch us, they realize that it's not just us being with them. We're, we're doing what we do comes out of who we actually are. Because our actions line up with our words. Our, the things that we say um, that we're passionate about morally line up with our words. Right? When we say that God has a plan and purpose for our life and, and, and we live that out, people want that. When we say, yeah, let's get together, together and worship and pray and we actually like worship and pray and not just listen to music, you know? I'm not saying that a whole worship set dedicated to music is bad. That, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is we've made time pray if we say when we get together the giving of the word is important but what is more important is that people have a chance to process what they're saying what what is being taught and they're able to speak up but we don't live that out it's one of the reasons why i let people interrupt me so much 
I'd rather know what you guys are thinking and how you're processing things. Let's reason together. That's more important to me because that helps you become, whether you realize it. And it solidifies who I am, whether you guys realize it. Because it puts to the test what I believe. I have to defend it and see if I'm actually living it out. Right? And if I'm doing that, and you see that, what's happening? You see what I'm saying? This is why our strategy of getting at least all of our young people moving into the neighborhood and learning how to be good neighbors and just learning how to be with the people in the neighborhood is so important. If we can just be with them, the rest will take care of itself. I don't know how many people I've won over to Christianity by debating with them. Right. Mm. Although I love to do it. Um, <laughs> but the thing that has won people over is the fact that I show up when I say I'm going to. Mm-hmm. Because that's who I am. Mm-hmm. Most of the time. There are exceptions. We all have bad days. Mm-hmm. Right? There, there's grace for those bad days. I don't want this to be like, I got to be now, so let me just focus on being all the time. Like, that's going to turn into a work in and of itself, right? That's not, that's not what I'm saying. You guys, you guys catching what I'm putting down? All right. So, look, the core reason why being before doing is so difficult for many of us is because it forces us to come face to face with those false selves that we build up over time and that the enemy... Uh, trains us in. Um, there are three different sins in the Old Testament. There's sin, which means to miss the mark. If you think about firing an arrow out, and the arrow misses, that's sin, right? There's transgression. The word transgression means that you willingly sin. You know what the commandments are, and you say, you know what? I don't care. And then there's iniquity. And most of the time, iniquity shows up generationally in the Bible. It is a sin that happens so much over time that it perverts and distorts the image that a person has made. When I say the enemy has trained us up in the ways that he would like us to go, and when we get old, it becomes hard to depart from it. It's true. He builds us up in a false self. And that false self is not necessarily always bad or or deceitful uh, so much as it is a construct of external things. The enemy doesn't have to trick me into doing something bad if if he can cause me to put my identity in something external. It's still a sin, but because it's external, I don't always realize it's happening. If I'm putting my identity in what I'm doing, what I'm doing might be good. And because of that, I look at what I, who I am as a righteous person before God, failing to realize that on the inside I'm empty, but for a short period of time I feel good because of what I'm doing. That is a false self. Can I say those three things again? Which three things? Okay, you said sin and, um, missing the mark. Missing the mark. And Transgression. Is willingly sinning, even if you know that you're not supposed to do something. You can sin accidentally. Is the idea. Yeah, and there's provision for that actually in Leviticus. Yeah. Sorry, my mind is old. That's okay. Transgression, willing, willing. Willingly sinning. Willingly sinning. Yeah. Just breaking. Yeah. And iniquity. Iniquity is. Uh, generational sin over time. Especially if you look at Solomon's kids. Started with David. <laughs> yeah, but it's said especially. It's especially. Um, so look, the false self could, is, a, is oftentimes a construct of, a, of externals. Things like our p- appearance, our education, talents, Successes, failures, goals, dreams, things that we hide behind so that we aren't truly seen by anyone 
And these things often bolster our sense of self-worth so that we don't have to address feelings of unworthiness in front of others. This is why I've been hitting so hard on Psalm 27.4 before we got into this. If we can learn to love him and find the joy in spending time with him first, these things that he wants to take away so that he can build our true identity in us and teach us how to really be with him, it's a lot easier. It's not as harsh, right? <laughs> so, I'm going to pray. This is where we're going to end it tonight. Um, not next week. Well, we'll do announcements in a minute, but let's pray. Abba, we come before you in Jesus' name. Um, we thank you for emotionally healthy discipleship and for teaching us how to be emotionally healthy. Lord, I, I pray that you would teach us to be with you. Help us to crave who you are and find joy in who you are and find joy in just being with you. Um, thank you for how special tonight was with uh, so many people being here tonight uh, that aren't always here and aren't typically here. Lord, I pray that uh, whatever was spoken tonight blesses everybody in the room and not just the people who have been here for this series for a little while. Um, thank you for pumpkin spice lattes and good prayer meetings. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Highland Park Community Church Podcast. We pray that you experienced the Holy Spirit in revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you've been impacted by our ministry and would like to make a financial contribution or you'd like to partner with us to reach the Highland Park community, visit us at www.myhpcc.net. We'll see you next time.